Good morning. It's a lot of fun to be up here uh, in Wayne Broderick's pulpit. I, I've known Wayne since he was a student at Baylor and the aquatics director at uh, Pine Cove. I'm not going to tell any stories on him because he knows stories on me. I'm sure that he could tell as well. But it's, it's fun to come up this far. I, when we moved back to Dallas uh, 15 years ago, I thought we were moving to northern Oklahoma when we settled at Frankfurt and the Tollway, which is, what, 15 <laughs> miles south of here. And uh, then they opened up the Tollway, and I discovered this other world up here in uh, Frisco. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to see what God is doing up here and what this church is doing uh, for this community as, as well. Two of my favorite people in the world are here uh, at this church. Wayne is one of them. The other is David Barnes. And if you don't know David, you need to get to know him. He's on staff here as well. And one of the smartest, greatest guys, godliest men I know. So find him and get to know him if you don't know him. So how many of y'all tomorrow morning, or actually maybe even this afternoon, are going to be uh, going to work? Okay. Uh, uh, there's a whole lot of people that didn't raise their hand here. Are y'all going to stay in bed? Have, you guys, we got some, are y'all students? Is school work? Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, there were also some women that didn't raise their hands thinking that, okay, because I don't make a living at what I do in the home and earn a paycheck, that that's not really work. So let's try this again. If you're, gonna, if you're not going to sleep in tomorrow and you're actually going to try to accomplish something tomorrow, learn something, <laughs> do something, uh, if you're... If you're, uh, if you're in that category, would you please raise your hand? Okay, that got the most of the rest of you. Um, if, if you didn't raise your hand, then this sermon's a little bit irrelevant to you, although you probably ought to pay attention to it anyway, just because it comes, it's, it's from God's Word. So the question that I have is, why, why do we go to work? What's, what's, uh, what's behind this? And I would like to suggest that it's a matter of calling. Uh, according to the Bible, there, I believe there are three parts to how God calls us. The first thing that he calls us to is to know him uh, in a personal and intimate way. This beautiful passage in Jeremiah 9 says, Let not the wise men boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty men boast of his might, but let, let not the rich men boast of his wealth, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Do you understand what an incredible statement that is? There's no other faith besides the Judeo-Christian tradition that has a God that says this to the world. God is, a, in all eternity past, existed in the Trinity. He's a relational God. When he created us, he invited us in some ways into that Trinity, into that relationship to know him uh, and, as, as he is known. And uh, it's such an incredible thing, privilege, that God has given us. He's called us to that. Secondly, he's called us to be conformed to his image. I think probably you know this passage, Romans chapter 8. Uh, we, uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called, uh, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Of his son. Aren't you glad that's happening? Seriously. Um, we, some of us have a long way to go. Some, a, a lot further than others, but we are all a long way from what God created us to be, right? And one day, when we see Jesus face to face, according to 1 John chapter 3, we are going to become the people that our husbands and wives really want us to be, <laughs> that God wants us to be. 
at. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful, beautiful thing. There's one more element that's pretty prominent in the scripture, and that is that God has called us to be involved with him in his work. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, for we are his workmanship. God did a work in us. He created us in Jesus Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God had something in his mind before, for us before he created us, and he designed us and he crafted us to accomplish that particular thing that he had in mind. So you're here because God had something he wanted you to accomplish. Now, it's really interesting. Most people don't understand what this word means. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of good works, but the word uh, works in, uh, in, in Greek is a very broad term. It does mean uh, any kind of spiritual work and taking care of the poor and that sort of thing, but it also means any kind of labor or enterprise or business even. Anything that takes effort is included in that word. And so God created you and I to be involved with him in all kinds of work. Just how broad? Well, I hope we'll see that before we finish this, this particular session this morning. So my question for you is how do you view, how do you view work? Uh, as you think about going to your work, whether it's in your home or your school or your place of business or wherever it might be, how do you think uh, of work? What comes to mind? Now, for some of you, you love your work. You like the seven dwarves, whistle on your way to work, and you think, uh, you know, you can't wait for Monday morning. Anybody feel like that here? I hope a bunch of you do. Excellent. Um, I, by the way, I'm doing, I am in my ideal job. I love what I do for Laterno University. It is so incredible. Um, and, uh, se but some of you may not particularly like your work. In fact, uh, Gallup surveys the workplace every year and 71% of American workers are just putting in the time. Yikes! No wonder we're not as productive as, as we need to be. Uh, so do you, work, do you work like this? Is it just some kind of drudgery that you have to go through? Um, there are jobs that are tough, but uh, what is your attitude toward it? Then there's a fellow like R.G. Letourneau, who is the founder of, of our university in East Texas. Mr. Letourneau loved his work, but when he dedicated his life to Christ, he had this feeling that uh, that just wasn't good enough, that if he was really going to serve God, he had to become a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist and give up the work that he really loved. Is that how you feel about your work? Is that how you feel about God and what he wants you to do, what you may be called to do? Well, I hope that uh, this will help you if, you if you come to understand that. But the fact is that a lot of people, most people, in fact, uh, have a really difficult time connecting God and work. It just doesn't seem to fit for most people, and uh, that's a sad fact. Uh, but uh, this is not new. In fact, in the ancient times, the times when actually the, the scripture was being written, uh, work was considered evil, and people defined themselves really by uh, what they didn't do. So if you had any means at all, you didn't do any kind of work. Oh, you might have sat around and read and studied and uh, talked about philosophy and religion and those kind of things, but the actual work was done by slaves. The actual meaningful work was done by slaves because work was evil and you didn't want any part of it. But then today, that's not how we look at work at all. Work is 
how we justify our existence. Uh, and people define themselves by what we do, don't we? And if something goes wrong with work, you know how you can tell if this is, if this is you? It's because when something comes up and is really difficult or your work is threatened in some way, you go to pieces um, because your whole being is wrapped up in actually what your, your whole identity is wrapped up in what you do. And then there's a, what I call a modern uh, evangelical view that actually is the medieval view of work that started in the Middle Ages, that work is a necessary evil. I probably think that most, most evangelical Christians find themselves here, yeah, okay, I've got to work, uh, but you know, it's something that I have to do to earn a living, and I'm there. So, so people are, that in this regard would define themselves by what they do for God, and what counts for God. What is it really that counts for God if you're thinking like this? Well, there's certain things that God is interested in, isn't there? There's prayer, Bible study, missions, evangelism, Worship, serving the poor, right? God cares about those things, right? Right? Yes? Yes? Do y'all talk? <laughs> okay, right. So, but then there's where we spend most of our time over here in the real world, work, business, finance, politics, rock, music, Ranger baseball, go Rangers, uh, make a living, making a living. Does God care about that? A lot of people don't see how God is connected with any of those things uh, on the, uh, the left-hand side. Of the, of the picture here. And that's a sad thing because this is really a pagan, not a Christian view of the world. Because God, to God, there's no separation between the secular and the sacred. It's all his. It's all his. And he wants us to all do it for him, as the video said, as an act of worship. Now the problem is when you believe something like this secular, sacred view of dividing up work, you come up with something like this as far as your status is concerned, all right? If you're a missionary, you are a four-star Christian. Pat yourself on the back, okay? If you're a pastor, you're a three-star Christian. Now, that's pretty good. It's not quite, you know, four-star, but pat yourself on the back there. If, you're, if you went to a Bible college, okay, uh, went to a real sound Christian college, worked in a secular world, you can be a two-star Christian, okay? We'll give you that, okay? But if you went to the University of Texas or A&M, especially if you went to A&M. <laughs> and you work in a secular job, not only are you working for the person, the engineer that graduated from a turn of, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you, <laughs> sorry, that was a cheap shot. Okay. Not only, you know, are you, a, you know, working in a secular job, with the, you know, you're a one-star Christian. I mean, that is low, okay? And you know, God is going to give you a pass on life, mostly, right? Because you're just a one-star Christian. You see what this kind of thought pattern does? I mean, if you're up here at the top, you've got to be really serious about your spiritual life. But if you're just a one-star Christian, I mean, just how serious about discipleship do you really need to be? But the real question here is not what we think about work. It's what God thinks about work, isn't it? You know, I think Wayne, last week, uh, as I... As I uh, I looked at what he said he was preaching on. He was talking about, you know, we can't just take our, our vision of God and what, who God is from ourselves or anybody else. We need to go back to his word and see what he's revealed about himself. And the same is true as wor about work. We want to see what God thinks about work, and that's what I want to do this morning. Before we do that, let me just give you a little quick quiz here. I bet y'all are going to do really great. The 8 o'clock people, the really spiritual people who get up early on Sunday morning. <laughs> They did good, so let's see how y'all do here. So does the Bible say more about work or worship? 
boom, you're good. You got it here. Excellent. Very good. All right. Second one uh, is uh, this. Uh, who are God's heroes in the Bible? Are there more heroes in the Bible that we think of as the biblical heroes? Are they people that were kind of like clergy, priests, prophets, etc., cetera, uh, writers of the Bible? Or were they basically people in the workplace who made their living by the sweat of their brow like most of you do? Boom, gosh, you guys are so smart. Here, actually, this is pretty interesting. Uh, this is just a rough estimate, but about 75% of the people we call biblical heroes are actually people that made their living just like most of you do out in, out in the workplace. Here's a few of them. See if you can recognize these people. Reared in the, re reared in the family ranching business, his jealous brothers had him kidnapped and taken to a foreign country where he eventually rose to a top government position and saved the Near East from famine by savvy grain futures trading. Who's that? <laughs> Excellent. Very good. That, give that man an A. Four-star Christian here. All right. All right. Here you go. Let's see how we do on this one. Uh, now, this person actually doesn't have a name, but I bet you'll recognize her here. Uh, she's not named in the Bible, but her character is. In a day when women were considered baby factories, she executed several entrepreneurial ventures in real estate and textiles. She was the supreme home business diva while maintaining excellent management of her family estate. Who is that? Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Here's another lady. This is one of my heroes here. Uh, she's in the apparel business, all right? And she, in fact, she ran an upscale apparel business uh, in the Mediterranean world. And she opened her place of business to serve as the meeting place for the first church in Europe. Does anybody know who that is? Acts 16, Lydia. Excellent. Very good. All right. So, okay. Let's think about this. Jesus' parables. He told there are 52 parables. How many of them were, have a workplace context versus a other, another context. Shazam, 45 of these. Now, do you think work in the workplace and what happens in the workplace is important to God? It sure was important to Jesus. In fact, you realize he spent 90% of his working life, or his living his life here on earth, uh, either living in or working in a small business and only 10% of his life doing, working at his teaching ministry as a rabbi. Do you realize that? I mean, look, if, if you, listen, really, really, if you were God, oh, I know that's a stretch, but if you were God and came to the earth to save the world, wouldn't you have got to it a lot faster than that? Really? No, making tables, building homes, whatever carpentry involved in those days, building of something, some sort, was important enough to God for Jesus to spend most of his life doing that. And that ought to awaken us to the sanctity and beauty of all kinds of work. All right, so what does God think about work? Uh, there's, there are four things I want you to take away here this morning. Number one, work is a gift of God. I don't know if you've thought about it as that, uh, but it's a gift of God, and it's absolutely essential for human flourishing. You know the reason why? is because it was given before the fall. God put us to work before the fall, before sin ever entered the world. There was work. Adam and Eve were doing work on planet Earth. It's, an, it's absolutely essential for us to be able to flourish, to have work to do. So don't retire, okay? It's not good. 
Uh, secondly, work is an expression of our love for God and our neighbor. Third, work is the proving ground of our faith. It's where we grow most significantly spiritually. If we're not growing in the workplace, ladies and gentlemen, we or our spiritual growth is going to be stunted. And fourthly, the workplace is the most strategic mission field in the world today. Let's take a look at, at these individually here. Work is a gift of God, essential for human flourishing. How do we know that? Well, f- first of all, we're, aden- we're introduced to God as a worker himself. Now remember, ancient world, this is when the Bible was written, and the very beginning, the first of, of the book of Genesis, we read, God created the heavens and the earth. This was a scandal at the time it was written, and all through Jesus' day, because the gods didn't work. It was beneath them. But our God actually gets his hands in the dirt. Look at what he says in in second uh, second verse in Genesis 2. The seventh day God created his work, and when he had done it, he rested from his what? His work. By the way, that's the same Hebrew word that's used for work and labor for human beings as well. God sees himself as a worker, and guess what? He created us in his image, to be workers as, as well here. Uh, in Genesis 2, when God uh, puts the, uh, the, the garden together, he puts man in it to cultivate it and keep it. Forget this idea of the noble savage living off the land as a hunter-gatherer. That is not what God intended. He put us here to make something of this planet, to keep it, to preserve it, to develop in its fullest, fullest sense of the word, which we'll see here. Uh, Look at this passage. This is actually the first Great Commission, uh, and it's still in effect. The the Great Commission in Matthew 28 joins this, but what what, what did God create human beings for originally? He created us for this. He created man in his own image, the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. He blessed them, and he said to them, okay, here's our job description, four things. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth to do it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. There are four things there. Four things that he created us for. This is our purpose statement for creation. This was why we're originally here to begin with, which is still in effect and why God still has us here on planet earth. Be fruitful means to be productive. We're not takers. We're to be givers here. Secondly, we're to multiply, which means to reproduce, to have more human beings. But it also, actually, the word means to become great as well, not just in number, but in any way possible. Now, animals could be only become great in number, but human beings have the ability to become great in all kinds of ways to the glory of God. Third, we're to, multi, uh, for, uh, we're to fill the earth. Now, this is, this is where, I, I want you to think about this just a minute. We are to bring the earth to full flower. Those of you who are A&M grads are probably engineers, okay, And engineering is a gift and a work of God because you're taking the laws and the raw material of the earth and crafting and figuring out how they go together to make structures and buildings and machines and all kinds of things that actually use the resources that God gave us to make life different and better on planet earth. And that is a direct fulfillment of that particular passage, of that particular command there. If you're a teacher teaching Kids are learning, if your kids, or you're learning about God's world, whether they mention God or not, you are fulfilling this, this, this verse in some way. Whatever you're doing, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, if it's serving humankind, is fulfilling this commission. Did you realize that? 
Now, if you're a bank robber, pimp, or drug dealer, okay, that, those don't apply here. But if you're doing something meaningful for the human race, whatever it is, oh my goodness. If you're creating products, if you're selling products that are helpful to people, uh, then you are helping to bring the world to full flower, to bring it what, bring it to bear to what it was actually created to, to be here. And then lastly, he says to subdue it. Um, the, the earth was perfect, but it was still wild. It had to be brought under control and ruled. And so this was our command here that God gave us. Uh, so Mr. Letourneau, as I mentioned before, had this conflict in his heart about what, how he should really serve God. Fortunately, he went to his pastor, and they prayed together. And when they finished praying, uh, his pastor said, Bob, God needs businessmen as much as he needs pastors and missionaries. And ladies and gentlemen, you are very thankful that Mr. Letourneau didn't become a missionary because Mr. Letourneau made 70% of the earth-moving machines that were used to win World War II by the Corps of Engineers and the CBs. We're thankful for that. We're also thankful. Anybody drive on a highway this week? Chances are, now it wasn't one of these machines because these are in the junkyard now, but chances are you, some machine that had a, a, one of Mr. Letourneau's 300 engineering patents was used in the machinery to make the North Texas Tollway, Highway 75, Highway 121, which we all frequent to some extent here. I'm thankful that he became really God's businessman. He was the best known Christian businessman in the country in the 40s and 50s. And oh, by the way, he, he founded this fabulous university that trains engineers and aviators today, which we're very proud of, and I'm grateful to be a part of. And you see, oh, uh, uh, just go, goes back. So take me back here. Yeah, do you see what he said here? When he's making these ma machines, he says, when God created the world and everything in it, he didn't mean for us to stop there and say, God, you've done it all. There's nothing left for us to build. He wanted us to take off from there and really build for his glory, to make something of the world that he's, he's given us here. That's what we're commissioned to do here. So work is a gift of God, and it's awfully important for us to have meaningful work and to be engaged in it. Secondly, did you realize that work is really a, a way you express love? It's first of all a way you express love to God. Uh, here's the, the great commandment. It has both of these, really. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with, uh, and with all, uh, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What in the world does that have to do with the workplace? Well, if you read the scripture, you find passages like this. <clears throat> Colossians 3, what does Paul say? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only with their eyes upon you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and what? Reverence for the Lord. That's an act of worship. You do your work as an act of worship, honoring him. And then he says, whatever you do, work at it with how much of your heart? All of your heart. Now, what do you think whatever means here? I know Wayne has probably explained the Greek word for whatever means whatever. That's a pretty broad definition of work, pretty broad category, right? Now, there are a few things that don't fit there. You can't sell drugs, rob banks, or pimp uh, for the glory of God. But everything else, if it's meeting a legitimate human need, if your work is meeting a legitimate 
How are you supposed to do that with all your heart as working for the Lord? Work is a way we express our love for God. Did you realize that? It should be. Every day when we show up on the workplace, at the workplace, whether it makes us whistle while we work or not, we should be thank, saying, thank, Lord, thank you for this work. Help me, help me to, to honor and model you in this particular place. And do this as an act of love, even if, whether there's joy in it or not for me. But work is also the way we love our neighbors as well. The actual products and services that we create and do for people, uh, create for people, is actually fulfilling uh, the, uh, the great commandment. Um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul says now about brotherly love, and then in the section down, here's one of the ways we do that. How do we express brotherly love? To mind our own business and work with our hands. There's that you know, common everyday labor that the Bible honors, which is so different, just as we told you, so that your, your daily life may uh, win respect of outsiders, so you'll not be dependent on ever anyone. When we do work, it's, it's really as, as an act of love and service to our, our, to our fellow man here. Um, so it's also a proving ground of our faith. Now, this might surprise you. Some people have this feeling that work is the enemy of your Christian life or your spiritual life. Let me tell you, not, it's not. And if, if you don't understand this, it will cripple your spiritual life as well. Look at what Paul says here. Apart from God, work is e easily becomes an idol. Well, this is Jesus here. Jesus says, uh, you can't serve two masters. And if you're living in a world, if your world that's in your mind says, this is stuff over here that counts, and this stuff over here doesn't count, then you're forced to live in two worlds. And ladies and gentlemen, it won't work, and guess what's going to win? Whatever has the most of your time and energy, which is the workplace. And work will become an idol to you. Secondly, <clears throat> work is where we learn to trust God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that something's wrong with the workplace. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, there are going to be really challenges there, and it is going to be a challenge for us. But look at what David says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those are builders. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake, the policeman, the soldier, keeps awake in vain. We need to be able to see that God is at work in our daily work, in us, through us, to accomplish what he, he, he desires for us. This is, workplace is the most significant place where we learn to trust God, wherever that is, in whatever kind of workplace you're in. Uh, we're not doing it. God is actually doing it through us because he has gifted us to do certain things, to accomplish certain things. Now look at how it closes here. It is vain to rise up early and retire late and to eat the bread of painful labor. Does anybody ever do that here? Anybody ever overwork because you think, okay, if I just do a little bit more, it's going to work this time or it'll be better or I'll earn more or whatever it is. David says, that's a dead end here because the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. It's the Lord who's at work in your work. It's the Lord who's at work in your success as well. The last thing is that the workplace is a strategic mission field. Did y'all realize that? The workplace is probably the most and always has been the most strategic mission field in the world. Um, and uh, the gospel, by the way, spread through the workplace in the, uh, if, if in the, in the first century. Uh, all over the, the, 
the Christian world. So we go from a few hundred people at the day of Pentecost to six million by the beginning of the third century BC. Pretty big expansion. How did that happen? It actually happened from house to house, or actually from oikos to oikos, as the Greek word is. And the oikos, oikos actually means house or household, but the oikos was actually the basic economic unit of the Greco-Roman world. That's where small business took place, in houses and estates. And so we could read this, uh, so Paul met publicly from small business to small business. And we know that when Paul held up in, uh, uh, in, in uh, Ephesus for two years, that what would happen was that the tradesmen would come from all over Asia Minor through the city of Ephesus. They would meet Paul, understand the gospel, trust him, and they carry the gospel back to all the cities uh, in Asia where the seven, ch the seven churches were founded there. The gospel spread through the workplace. And by the way, today, the reality of our faith is most evident to others in the workplace. Did you realize that? We have the opportunity to show that Christ is really real to us eight, ten hours a day sometimes before people. Uh, now, perhaps it used to be the, the neighborhood a little bit more, but today this is where people see whether our faith is really real or not in the workplace. That's why Paul says in Colossians 4, be wise in the way you, first of all, what? Act toward outsiders, and then let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll be know how to answer anyone. So how, do we, to, how are we supposed to act? Well, we're supposed to do excellent work, right? We're supposed to show uh, godly character. We're supposed to demonstrate real concern for people. When we act that way, that opens the door for conversation about Christ because people want to know, is Christ really making a difference in our lives before they're going to listen to us? And we have to, there has to be trust developed. Before people believe a message, they first of all usually have to believe the messenger. And this is how we win that. It's a wonderful thing that we have. So incredible. So here are the six uh, implications. They're on your page here, but let's just take a look at them real quick here. Our daily work is important to God and his kingdom. Don't ever think it's not. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, unless it's sinful, is very important to God. Secondly, when we take our faith to work, even the most mundane tasks become spiritually significant. We're keeping our grandson this week. When I'm changing that diaper, it is a deeply spiritual activity, trust me, <laughs> especially for him. <laughs> Third, our work is our primary mission field. Wherever that is, that's our primary mission field. Fourth, we go to work for the same reason we go to church to worship God, to serve our fellow man. And then fifth, work is not a distraction from our spiritual life. It's really the key to our spiritual life. God has got to invade our thought process there. And we've got to learn what it, what it means to follow Christ in our workplace if we're really going to be serious about him. And then six, Monday mornings may be frustrating, but they're never meaningless. So where are you going to be tomorrow morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for work. Thank you for bringing us into your great work of creation and your great work of redemption. We are your ambassadors wherever we go. So Lord, uh, when our hands hit the doorknob of our place of work, wherever that is, Lord, whether it's a home or a place of business, 
whether it's an office, a manufacturing facility, a classroom, a, a job site, wherever that may be, Lord, that's your place. It's your work. Lord, help us to do it your way for your glory and your honor. And Lord, as we think about the ability to earn a living, we thank you for giving us the ability to earn wealth. Thank you for prospering us as you have. And Lord, we, we ask, Lord, not that you tell us how much of our money we give to you, but how much of your money we should keep for ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.